chapter 23. If you're glad to be here, say amen. I'll tell you what, after that devotion service, we'd be sad if we didn't say amen to that. Boy, it is good to see you. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. It's good to be excited about the things of God, don't you think? One of these days, and I believe it is soon, everyone, our faith is going to be turned into sight. I'm telling you, Jesus is coming, and the way things look in the world, it must, must be soon. You know, I, I can't go long when I see Jessica, that I remember the night she was saved. How many of y'all were here the night she was saved in that revival? I want to tell y'all something. It's rare that, that we get to witness something quite like that. There couldn't have been anything scripted out anymore from heaven by anyone for one person to be saved. That whole service just absolutely was for her. And what a great deliverance. What a great deliverance it was. I got to when, tickle when Dorothy said that when she woke up, she wanted to hear the choir sing. Isn't that wonderful? How wonderful. How wonderful. Well, we continue our study with the timing of the Ezekiel 38-39 war. And we're getting close to the end of this study. When we get to the end of this part of the study, what I think I'll do, I'll, I'll look at the transition from the tribulation into the millennial. I made statement one time, and, and several people asked questions about who's going to be there, how, who's going to populate it, and I think it would make a good study. At least I've enjoyed trying to prepare my heart and refresh my mind about it, even learned some things. So when we do that, we're, we're studying about some end-time things. That'll be a good one also to look, like, look at because we even see something about the first resurrection. But here in our studies for several weeks, we've been studying about two wars Two wars of the end time. There are nine. We've been focusing on the war of annihilation of Psalm 83. And the first war of Gog and Magog out of Ezekiel 38 and 39. I told you two weeks ago, if you study those really close, you'll see uh, the difference between the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war and the fact that it'll happen at a different place and at a different time. Then the Revelation 20 uh, Gog and Magog wars. So uh, lots of people have differences of opinion about this. What I'm going to give you tonight, and all of you all that's got your hand out on, on uh, the 10 days between the Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement, that's what we're going to be looking at. This is my theory. Now I'm going to tell you all something. When I teach to you all, and when I study, and I share things with you all, if I've got a question about what I teach when I go home, I dig myself out. And, and I'm still convinced that what I'm giving you is a very plausible possibility. After the Lord gave this to me, I began to look and search and see how many other people may have thought that there is going to be what is commonly referred to a gap theory between the time of the rapture and the onset of the tribulation. And for years, like I've told you, I have wondered about how the last three feasts of Leviticus 23 are going to be fulfilled just like the first feasts were. The first feasts that are listed here in the book of Leviticus, they were feasts that God gave the nation of Israel to celebrate. They were practical feasts. In other words, they were actual feasts that they participated in yearly. They were supposed to. And yet, when they were fulfilled, just like the Passover 
had its onset in Egypt in chapter 12 of the book of Exodus when the nation of Israel was delivered from Egypt's bondage and from, from Pharaoh's, uh, um, um, what would the right word be? A rule, let's just leave it at that. It pictured and typified, if you will, the salvation that the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, brought to us by the death that He died, God's Lamb that taken away the sin of the world, that was applied to our life by faith, like the Lamb, the Lambs, but Lamb was slain in Egypt that night with the blood applied to the doorposts and the lentils of all the houses where the children of Israel dwelt so that they could escape the judgment of God and the death angel that night. So these feasts are not only practical, they're, they're prophetical. And we're looking at the prophetical side of them. The first four feasts, and I know I'm being redundant, I've told you this about every week we've studied on them, they were fulfilled at the same time of the year in the same order that they're written in and that they were participated in. So why wouldn't I think that the last three out of the seven are not going to be fulfilled in a similar manner? Would you all agree with that? I've got you convinced by this time, or else you say yes, so I won't say it anymore, right? It's one or the other. So I, I looked. Now last week, if you remember, we talked about a lot of things, but we ended up looking at the Feast of the Trumpets. I'm excited about that one, just like David Cook said, when I hear the toot, I'm going to scoot. And I hope you're ready when the trumpet sounds. I hope you don't wake up some morning or some night or come home after a long days of work and you can't find your wife or your husband or your children or your grandchildren. I'm telling you, one of these days, these things we preach about and have preached about for years is going to happen. It's true, and it's going to prove itself true when it happens. So we want you to be ready. So the next feast, it's the first fall feast that happens after the Feast of Pentecost, which is the coming of the Holy Spirit to indwell people that are saved. After that span of time, from March or April, May, June, July, August, to September or October, depending on the year. This year it's when, John Soyce? October the 3rd, when they put together two days to make one day, one of these days on the Feast of the Trumpet, the trump of God is going to sound, the dead in Christ are going to be raised, and we'll be gone. Oh, y'all got to get more on that. That's exciting, do you hear me? Now, that's not the end of things. There's a lot going on in heaven for us. We'll look at that sometime. But here on planet Earth, listen to me, all hell's going to break loose. Now, I used to think that immediately the day that the rapture takes place, the snatching away of the church, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the book of Roman, or Revelation 4 and 1, that the tribulation or that 70th week when God is going to judge Israel and also the world, we'll see that tonight, that immediately Daniel's 70th week of prophecy, which is in Jeremiah 30, spoken of as the time of Jacob's trouble, or as we commonly know it in prophetic parlage, is Daniel's 70th week, not just seven days, but seven years, that it immediately started. I no longer believe that. 
So it, for, for years, I wondered. I knew these feasts would have to take place. I knew at the beginning of their new year, in the seventh month, when the feast of trumpets would sound, there had to be a connection between that and the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement in the Old Testament was one time a year. The high priest went to the holiest of holies with blood for himself and then blood for the sins of the people. They were connected by a 10-day period of time. I couldn't figure out those 10 days. And I don't know how long I've had this. I don't know when the Lord gave it to me, but I believe with all of my heart I've got something worth studying. It's, it's again what the Lord gave me. And look, we're going to pick it up here in, in verse 26, and we'll read a couple, and then we'll get in a little more. And I welcome your questions, your interruptions. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Also on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the first day of the seventh month, they celebrated the Feast of Trumpets. There were two trumpets to blow. If you remember last week, I told you there were several things trumpets were used for. Two of the things that I've lifted up for my study is, one, they are, the trump was sounded to call a gathering. And God's going to call all of the Jews out of the different countries of the world. For the first time since the diaspora of 70 A.D., there, there are more, that I'm about to shout right now, there are more Jews in the land of Israel than they are in any other country around the world. Now, folks, we're seeing prophecy fulfilled. If you read Ezekiel 38, you'll see the valley of dry bones. Those bones have come together, and they've got flesh and sinews on them. They are walking around their life. Now, they've not been converted yet. They're back in the land dead. But I'm telling you, they're there. And that's exciting. That is so exciting to me. April the four, May 14, 1948 was one of the greatest, if not the greatest, fulfillments of prophecy. And I don't know when, June the 7th, I believe it was, in, in 67, when um, they, they retook, when they retook Jerusalem as the capital city of Jerusalem, made their way of Israel, I mean, and made their way to the uh, Welling Wall. That, that was a great day in prophecy. But listen, folks, we're seeing it fulfilled before our eyes. Now, y'all don't seem to be real excited about it, but it is exciting. So, we look at this, and listen to what he said. He said, also on the tenth day of the seventh month, there shall be a day of, an aton- of atonement. It shall be an holy conversation unto you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire under the Lord. Now, what they were to do between the, day, the Feast of the Trumpet celebration, during those ten days between the Feast of the Trumpet and the Day of Atonement, They are known as the Ten Days of All, A-W-E. It's going to be an awesome time. So here's what I begin to think. I I, I mean, just sure as I'm here, the Lord gave me this. There has to be a time, not when the church goes out and the next day Antichrist makes a covenant with Israel. There's got to be a day of time. To settle things down, there has to be a period of time, a gap of time, if you will, to where people can begin to think right again, the globe begins to function right again, and things try to fall in place to the point that the rest of God's prophecy can be fulfilled. Does that sound 
plausible and logical? Can, can, can you imagine the chaos the day after the rapture? You get up, the news reports. I don't know how many airplanes crashed yesterday. We lost count at 10,487. We're still getting reports. We, 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 we can't tell you the number of phone calls, police stations around not only America, the world, that claim their children have disappeared. Somebody came in and robbed their cradles. I could go on with those kind of things, but I'm not going to. It's going to happen someday. Can't imagine the madness and, and the craziness and all that will go on in a world that's already lost or is totally losing its mind right before our eyes. So there's got to be a period of time for things to settle down. Now, when is, when is the battle of Gog and Magog of Ezekiel 38 and 39 going to be fought? It's going to be in the latter times. Now, the latter days, they deal with Israel in their latter days. And that would include those seven years of tribulation. I believe with all of my heart, it'll include the time, all the time after up to the millennium, after Jesus takes His church out. I, I like your head shaking. Now think about it. You see, listen, the church are going to be gone, and He'll be referring to His people in the Scriptures as you read them during that period of time. I believe after the church is gone, that it will constitute the last days or latter days of the nation of Israel on planet Earth. So, anyway, so what's going to happen at that time? Let's just say, for instance that um, in this, and, and look, it could happen, I believe, soon after the rapture, and I think that's when it's going to be somewhere in those first three years. But what would happen really soon after? You know, we're going to cover those seven years of Ezekiel 39. That says there's going to be seven years burning the wood from the weapons, you know, that they found. They're all going to have all the dead bodies and bones buried after seven months. They're going to do that. But what if we needed seven years? We've got all kinds of time to give it. Are you all with me so far? Even if it doesn't start till the day that the Antichrist establishes the covenant with Israel for a seven-year peace treaty that he'll break in three and a half years. That's what that is up there to show you all, to illustrate that. I don't know where I'll get to it or not, but we've got it up there nonetheless for you to look at. So there's going to be time. I wondered about the time element of that. And I've got another piece of insight and information on that, I believe, from the Lord with all of my heart that I'm going to share uh, with you before this study is out. But let me, let me read a couple of things. Did anybody read this beside me, by the way? I'm just kidding. I know you did. You all impress me when you all tell me that, that you all uh, even, even keep the things that, that I give out. But I want to go down to the last two. I'm going to go down to the last two. I'm trying to cut this short. I'm trying to wheel it down. But I'm going to go to the last two paragraphs on this page that I gave you. If you don't have it, I'll give it to you outside. And if you want one of those, I've got, I don't know, 20 or so of those if you want a timeline. But let me, let me read these things to you. And we're going to go to the Scripture and, uh, and read them. In fact, let's just turn over to the book of Revelation uh, chapter chapter three, and we'll look at verse ten. Then we'll back up in chapter two and look at verse at verse ten. Chapter three of the book of the Revelation, uh, verse ten. While you're turning, let me set this up. 
In chapter 1 of the book of Revelation, we see Jesus dressed in his high priestly garments walking in and out of the seven golden candlesticks. He's the high priest. He's a great high priest. And he's looking over the church. He's looking at us. Matter of fact, the first letter that he wrote to those seven churches, one of them being Ephesians, the church of Ephesus, he said, except you repent, I'll remove your candlestick. You know what he said? He said, look, if you don't get it right, I'll remove your influence. I'll put your light out. You'll still be saved. You'll still function as a church. You, you, you won't prosper. You, you won't, you, you, you'll just you'll go through the motions. I don't want that for our church. Amen? I want our light to shine here in Dunbar, West Virginia. So he writes personal letters to all seven churches. And I believe there are things that are applicable to us. Have you ever, have you ever been reading through the Old Testament? You come across a verse of Scripture... And it kind of interests you, but you don't give it much thought. You go to the New Testament, and all of a sudden, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, whether it be in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or one of the other writers, they'll just lift that thing off the page. And you go back and look at it, and say, I don't see how that fit without the Holy Spirit saying it fits. I believe there's a lot of it in this book that I've missed, and probably you have too. So when we get to chapter 3, the beginning of this, verse 10 is part of the letter that, Jesus wrote to the church of Philadelphia. The church of Philadelphia is probably the greatest church that is mentioned here. Um, it is beautiful. He said, open a door that no man can shut. And uh, he gave them the word of God. And he said, because you have kept the word of my patience, I'll keep you from the hour of temptation to come upon the altar. Look at verse 10 with me. He said in verse 10, because thou hast kept the word of my patience... I will also keep thee. What's the next word? What's that mean? Does that mean I've got to go through it, or does it mean I love it? It means I love it, doesn't it, Steve? It sure does. He is going to deliver us. Now, when you speak of a church, it may be addressed to one church, but there's a reference and an application without question to the church altogether. If you all agree with that, say amen. He said, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation. Now stop right there. I know he said hour, but can anybody imagine what uh, he's referring to there? He's talking about the time of the tribulation. You study that out, and that's what you'll find. He said, I'll keep you from the hour of tribulation. Listen now, that shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Now listen. The 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. And I know this is a little deep, but we're in a Wednesday night adult Bible study, so I'm not going to apologize. The 70th week of Daniel's prophecy, out of Daniel chapter 7, verse 21. It is specifically for the Jews. It is the time of their judgment, without a doubt. As I told you earlier in the book of Jeremiah chapter 30, it's referred to as the time of Jacob's trouble. Not, not, not of... Not of uh, Mary. You remember when he said that, uh, how was it? That they wept, can't get it all together. He was talking about, though, the slaughter of babies. The rest of it will come to my mind, hopefully, before this study ends tonight. But when we begin to look at that hour, it's not an hour. It is a period of time. That's what that phrase, that hour, a period of time. Not limited to 60 minutes. Got me? All right. And he says to come upon all the world that will try them that dwell upon the earth. Not only is this 70th week a judgment on the nation of Israel, but it's also a judgment upon the whole world. It's going to affect everybody. It's going to be rather amazing. Back up in chapter 2. 
and look at uh, look at verse 10 with me, if you will. Now, this is the letter written to the church of Smyrna, which, which, is, which has to do with myrrh. Smyrna, that's a dead giveaway, even I can get that one, amen? Smyrna, anyway, it's a time of, of mourning. Myrrh was used in, in bombing and other things too. But listen to what he said. I'm, I'm, since it's four verses, I'm going to read the whole letter. And unto the church of the angel, and unto the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead, and is alive. I know thy works, and tribulation, and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews, and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which shall which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. See, I don't, I don't think those things were by accident. Ten days, not five, not twenty, but ten days. He said, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. When you begin to look at this, the ten days of tribulation, there were no doubt that under probably most scholars that I've read after they just uh, uh, name one Roman emperor, uh, Diocletian. Diocletian. And they suffered. They, they, they all think that it was a ten-day period of time. Everybody with me? So when we go back, when we go back over to the book of, uh, I'm not going there and I don't want you to, Leviticus 23, and we begin to cover those 10 days that I think are going to happen after the rapture and before the millennial sets in at the end of the tribulation. I believe God's gotten something in store for us there. Now, let's go real quick. The book of Matthew, we'll change this just a little bit. I don't think I'm making this as clear as I wanted to. If not, I'll listen. You ask the questions, and I'll back up next week and try to uh, clarify a whole lot more. Have you ever thought about that time that's going to come in Matthew 24? We're going to read a few verses. Time's just about gone, so we can't, so we can't stay long here. God's going to deliver His people. God's going to deliver the children of Israel. And He's going to do it in a mighty way. Now, I've got to back up next week. I, I just thought of some things. I've, I've got to back up next week and talk to you a little bit more about the war and about even maybe what's going to happen so that the Antichrist can make that covenant with the nation of Israel. So we'll, we'll probably spend a little more time on this next week. But I want to close with this because I think it's really good. This is what he said beginning verse 15 of chapter 24. He said, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whosoever readeth, let him understand. Now, just for clarity, really, really quick. I've got to set this up because we're going there eventually. Let me ask you all, what is the abomination of desolation that Daniel spoke of? Anybody? Defilement of the temple. Do you remember who by, Ronnie? That it, now that's what it's going to be, but 
what we're going to look at is the, is the type. In Daniel chapter 11, we're going there, we'll be there next week. Can't, can't get it tonight. We have a history of a war between the king of the south and the king of the north. The king of the south is Egypt. The king of the north is a man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. And some people call him Antiochus Epiphanes. I don't know how they get that, but I have enough trouble the way I enunciate his name. This man, during a time when they came against Jerusalem, he, he totally defiled the temple in Israel. What he did was he put, a, he put an image of Zeus up in the holy place, and on the altar he offered a swine, a pig, and he even made the priests drink swine juice. He defiled, he, he committed an abomination to the house of God. Now Ronnie said, it's talking about the Antichrist, and that's who it is talking about. After the church is gone, during the tribulation period, at the middle mark of the tribulation period, you see that in the in the middle, those two long lines. One to me is to the left of the cross, and the other one's on the other side. Those are the that, that represents the ten years that I'm talking about. You see at the bottom, those are the first three years, then the second three and a half years, the second three and a half years make up the seven, a total of ten. At that midpoint, right there in the middle. That's chapter 12 and 13 of the book of the Revelation. That is when the third woe pronounced in the book of Revelation is fulfilled. And it will be the day and the hour when God kicks Satan out of the heavenlies. Casts him down to planet earth. And you're talking about all hell breaking loose. It's already going to be loose on earth, but it's going to be kicked up a jigger or two. And that's railroad talk for my son. It's going to be stepped up quite a bit. It is that period of time that this is talking about. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 tells us that the Antichrist will go into the temple in Jerusalem and declare that he is God. Now if you want to read the history of Antiochus Epiphanes, you'll pick all of this up if you get in a good commentary or book of history on the Word of God and on the nation of Israel. But let me go on with something, and I'll, I'll uh, leave you with this, and we'll pick this up next week. And again, if you want to read Daniel chapter 11, please do that. And listen to what he said. Then let them, talk about the Jews now, which be in Judea, flee into the mountains. And they'll go into the Judean hills first. He said, let him which is on the housetop come not down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. You know what the message is here? Get out of town as quick as you can. When the Antichrist steps in the temple, commits the abomination of desolation that Daniel spoke of, listen, friend, it's going to be a time like no other time on planet earth. And you know what is going to happen? Or you know why Christ is telling His people to get out of town? We think anti-Semitism has increased in our day, and it has. 
The last count I had, it was over 400% that it has increased in America. Do you know what the number one desire of the Antichrist will be at that time? Will be to annihilate Israel totally. Now to remember the reason why he thinks to this day that if he can annihilate the Jew, he can prove God a liar and spoil his plan and put himself in the place of God. I got news for Antichrist and everybody else listening. That ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen. So here's what we're going to do next week. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little bit more on what's going to happen in those, in those first three years. Give you maybe a little more on the timeline. But we're going to end up with looking at where Israel goes. How many of y'all ever heard of Petra? How about Basra? How about Edom? It's all about the same place. Well, God's got a place, and He's going to take care of His people. But wait just a minute. What if at the middle, and I'm trying to prime a pump here, what if in the middle of that 70th week of Daniel, at the break of chapter 12 and 13 of the Revelation, they have not got all of that wood burn. What's going to happen? Is God's Word true, untrue? Well, if you come back next week, I'll tell you my opinion about what's going to happen. The Bible's going to be fulfilled. God's always got a plan, always got a people. Questions? Comments? I feel like apologizing right now, but probably won't. See, Israel through this time is going to get to the place where the only one she can turn to before utter annihilation because Zechariah tells us that two-thirds two-thirds of the nation of Israel will be wiped out. Isn't that amazing? So at that time, when it looks like Antichrist is going to succeed, you know what they're going to do? And it's going to be somewhere at the end of that seven years, I believe, the best I can figure out. There's going to be somebody come, okay, with red blood on their garments. Y'all remember that? Isaiah 63 and 1. Y'all remember that? They're going to come. He's going to come. And they're going to see, Zacharias said, the wounds in his hands. And they're going to realize what their people, their ancestors did to Jesus when he came the the first time. And they're going to weep and mourn for him and repent. They're going to call on him for deliverance. See, that excites me. That was worth coming. If I messed up on everything else, that was worth coming for. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to deliver them. And let me give you another hint. He's going to hide them in the open. He's going to give the Antichrist access to any place on earth but one place. Y'all come back next week and tell me where it's at. Go ahead, Jerry. Page 234.